I'm not really in a hurry. I, I just need to get started so I can get done by 10 at least. So, Or maybe a little earlier than that. Who knows? Maybe. We are glad to have Brother and Sister Hemus in service with us this weekend. I know. Uh, well, they were both with us this morning, and I got so focused I forgot to say anything. Uh, Sister Hemus was with her mother, and... Uh, so Brother Hemus is with us tonight. If you have not gotten a chance to greet them or him tonight, we are so happy to have them. And if I wasn't preaching, I'd give him a chance to say something. But uh, I, I know what happens. You know, you, you don't give a, a preacher to a microphone. It's just never can tell what happens. Praise God. Uh some of you were here for the Antioch United service. Uh, some of you weren't. If you were here for the Antioch United service, you're going to realize that tonight is a little bit of a oddity, if you want to call it that, from uh, your perspective. Uh, I thought my wife was asleep on the two pl- flights yesterday uh, and wasn't paying attention, but obviously what she said this morning... Uh, it was true. I spent every moment I could on both flights, uh, and it wasn't one set of notes. He just kept talking to me about this, and then it would go to this and whatever. So I, I got plenty of material. Okay, that's not the issue. He he gave me all kind of good stuff, and I appreciate that. With But that being said... Uh, there's something that he had me talk about a little bit during the Antioch United service that will not leave my spirit. And I believe it's something I'm supposed to go focus on tonight. Uh, and it will help us. There are, there are things in the scripture. I know you're standing and I just, you know, in a minute you're going to stand, sit and I'm going to still be standing. So just, just. Just, just stand a little bit longer, then you'll be really happy when you get to sit down. Uh, there are things in the Scripture uh, that to our natural minds, if I can use the word, they seem really nebulous, like, what? what? What's he talking about? And I'll read one of them to you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And our natural mind reads that and goes, huh? What in the world is he talking about? And then the other one, one of my frequently quoted verses, is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And you should be able to quote that. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You may be seated. Now, here's, here's the, uh, here's the curious nature of this. The Bible says, Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the things of the Spirit of God uh, cannot be received by the 
carnal mind or the natural mind because they're foolishness unto him. The carnal man, the natural man, cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. Meaning, they don't make any sense. In Matthew 5 and 6, you go, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And what in the world is he talking about? Well, if you want to you wanna see the importance of this, let's look at the two words that describe what my desire for righteousness should be. And then I'm going to, then I have to say, if righteousness is that important and it should be that kind of a focus to my life to find it and have it, then I really need to know what righteousness is. The word hunger, it means, uh, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, metaphorically it means to crave ardently, to seek with eager desire. This has nothing to do with curiosity. It, this isn't about looking at the subject of righteousness out of curiosity. What, what does he mean? I like to know what he means. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of a strange statement he's made here. What, what does it mean? This isn't looking at something out of curiosity or one of our favorite pastimes or many people's favorite pastime this day, these days is surfing the net. To see what you find. Well you got to be careful when you do that. Because sometimes you might find what you don't need to find. But you know. uh, I hope hopefully you are not of those deluded millions. That believe if it's on the internet it's true. But there are some true things on the internet. And uh, you know. For me. For me. I know that I'm not old because the Bible says he, young men shall see dream dreams and old men shall see visions. Or old men shall dream dreams. That's it. Old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. And I'm still having visions. Okay. But now Sister Wright is the Google queen. She has learned that she can ask Google any question and find out some stuff. So that proves she's young, right? Well, you can't Google this and get the answer because Google is natural, maybe carnal, in some cases, of course. But it, 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 this is spiritually discerned. So the Lord says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The blessing is not being filled. The blessing is the fact that God has given you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, here's the, here's the point. How can you be blessed with hunger and thirst after righteousness if you don't have a clue what you're hungering and thirsting for? Now, some of you weren't here this morning, and so my wife was so kind in her comments about the fact that there's a whole lot less of me to hug than there used to be. And I said, the reason I've been able to lose weight, people say, well, how are you losing weight? The grace of God. 
that people don't want to hear that. Okay, I'm eating weird food that I'll never eat like this the rest of my life so I can binge diet and put more back on when I get through. Is that what you want to hear? I got the latest fad diet. Hey, I, I got one. I know one way. I guarantee you it's not new, but it still works. If you don't want, if you want to lose weight, stop eating. Works every time. But the blessing for me, the reason I say this is the grace of God, is there are things I used to crave. I don't crave them. I'm not struggling. Oh, I'm, I'm struggling not to eat chocolate. No. I'm not struggling uh, to not eat sweets. I'm not. That's supernatural if you know me at all. That's supernatural. That's not natural. Period. End of story. That's supernatural. That's not natural. And yet there's something the Lord says, I should be craving ardently. There's something I need to seek for with eager desire. And then then he uses the word thirst. And again, uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon says the word thirst here means figuratively, those who are said to thirst who painfully feel their want of and eagerly long for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. Uh, painfully feel the lack of it and ardently, eagerly want that. Jesus said, those are the feelings, the, 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 the type of desires I should have for righteousness. I should want righteousness to that degree. In other words, it's not something I read about and go, Oh, you know, that's, that'd be cool to have that. I'd like to, I'd like to have some righteousness. No, no. Right, it, it, for me to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that means... It has to be a very focused part of my day most days. I'm pursuing it. I'm pursuing it. I'm pursuing it. I'm consciously, spiritually pursuing this. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when he puts the word blessed on there, he's implying to us, and the other scriptures bear this out, that this is not, this hunger and thirst is not natural. It's not intellectual. It's not physical. It is supernaturally imparted, and the flames of it is supernaturally fanned to keep it burning in you all the time. Well, I have to choose to let that happen. And I have to acknowledge it when it's happening. And I have to yield to it as it is happening. I was a young pastor. And some of you would know Brother Hushera. He preached here many times in the first ten or so years of the church. And uh, I was I wanted it. I didn't even know what I wanted, but I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted God. I wanted a move of God. I wanted the things of God. And I was driving myself and everybody else crazy. And, uh, and he was here preaching one time and he says, the Lord has given me a verse for you. You can put this one on the screen. Proverbs 18 and 1. Through desire, 
a man, that doesn't mean a male, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Now, those of you that have been a while around, a while, around a while, you know this is truth. I got a lot of people I love. And there's people that, are, believe it or not, there's people that love me. And, uh, and there, I, there are people I enjoy spending time with. But if I have a choice, if it's my choice, if I'm not doing what God's told me to do and spending time with someone that God told me to spend time with, what my wife was saying today, people, you, 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 there's no use telling it because people don't believe it. But when I'm away, I promise you I minister two to three times more out of the pulpit than in the pulpit. Because preachers want help and they want to talk. And they want to talk to someone. They have some confidence in what that person will tell them. And so, you know, my poor wife, do you know how many four or five hour sessions she sat through at a table in a restaurant? It's true. It's true. I've gotten to where, <laughs> if it's possible, if we get in a restaurant and it goes a little while, I'll say to her, you can be dismissed if you want. This service is going to continue a while. And we have the waitress or the server, server, excuse me, that's, ooh, that's uh, gender oriented. <laughs> right. <clears throat> we give an extra tip because we occupy her table so long. And I've said this, and it's misunderstood, and I've been railed on for it, but I'm about to say it again, just get your rails out. Okay? I've said this. I'm going someplace. I got faith for what God wants to do. And, and, and I, all my life, I've been headed someplace. And if you want to go where I'm going, you got my best. I'm giving you every bit of me I can. If you don't want to go where I'm going, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be polite. I'm going to be loving. And I'm going to get away from you as quick as I can. So that's terrible. Sorry. That's me. For better or worse, aren't you glad I'm not your pastor? You, you, you mean that? No. <laughs> I don't mean it. I live that. That's not words. And you know what? It doesn't take very long these days to know right in here real quickly whether or not somebody is just trying to stay saved but doesn't care about anybody else and they don't want to see anything happen. They don't want to see God be God. They just, they just don't want to go to hell themselves. Well, fine. There are a lot of guys that, that, that's their ministry. It's just to help you get to heaven. That's all, you know, that's, that's what they're trying to do. They'll help you get to heaven. I'm not trying to get, just to get to heaven. I'm not in this just to go to heaven. Just go heaven. I've said this before. You've probably heard it. But man, if heaven is a, a cloud, a 
a pair of wings, a harp, and a halo that doesn't have to be attached by that thing down the back? That didn't sound like heaven to me. That's hell. You mean I've lived all of this? I've denied all these things that I could have been involved in that my flesh would have enjoyed for a cloud and a harp and a halo and a pair of wings forever and ever. Amen. There's not anything about that that's inviting to me. But here's the thing. When David said of the human body, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When David said that, and I'm, and, and I'm looking at this, and, and if you have the most powerful microscope there is, and you can look all the way down into an atom, and you'll see a nucleus with all these electrons circling around, that exact pattern we call a solar system on the opposite end. If he so meticulously designed this life and it's temporary, what in the world has he done for eternity? What is eternal life like? If he, if he made this kind of investment in, in, in designing and preparing life that's just temporary, Temporary. What in the world has he invested in that which is eternal? And it is my desire that I didn't give myself. He put in here. It is the desire he gave me that I'm giving myself to. To let him prepare me in this life, however he needs to prepare me, to equip me to be a part of that life. Because you may think you're just here till the end of this. <laughs> no. No. You know, you can go to heaven blind. You don't need a miracle to see. You can go to heaven deaf. You don't need a miracle to hear. You don't, you can go to heaven lame. You don't need a miracle to walk. You can go to heaven if you die of cancer. You don't need a miracle to be saved. All of those things, all those miracles affect this life. This life. But the miracles I'm looking for are the miracles that's going to make me what I need to be so that there is a day where he says, okay, I'm finished with you. You can, you can leave now. Yeah. Yeah. So that he's finished with me. And the scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. Well, some don't want to be required much. I want to be required everything he wants to require. You know why? That means he's given me what I need to to, to, to live up to that. Because I can't do that myself. And if he's put all of that in me, then he must intend to equip me and empower me to to get there. My, 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 my. Blessed are they who have a supernatural focus that says, it doesn't matter what my natural life is like. It doesn't matter if I'm sweeping streets or if I'm leading a multi-billion dollar corporation. One is not better than the other. Both of them 
should be focused on God and His plan for their lives. Both of them should be. Both of them should be. We have a tendency to judge people by the here and now. I tell you what, it's going to be a lot of shocked folks when we get to heaven. And we see that somebody we didn't think all that highly of because they were never great in our minds. But God called them to do certain things and they were faithful and they sought Him and they prayed prayers that affected the world that nobody even knew they prayed, but God did. God did. They gave themselves to prayer. And even though, even though nobody knew they were praying like that, God led them to pray and they were faithful with it and they affected things that maybe even they didn't see, but God was using them to affect. And we get to heaven and we see this one lifted up and the one we thought was so high and mighty here. Let's see, here's your broom. I need the streets of gold need swept for the next multi-billion years. God bless you. You say, that's terrible. No, it's not terrible at all. It all depends on your priorities. What's important to you. Depends on your priorities. It's not where you're from. I thank God I was raised with a mother and a father in the house, except my dad wasn't in the house much. He was deployed a lot in the military. But I had a father. He did come home, praise God. We weren't rich, but most of my life he was an enlisted man in the military, and then he got promoted up into the senior enlisted ranks, and then they made him an officer. And after I left the house, he was an officer. You know, and we weren't poor. We weren't rich. We had what God wanted us to have and we needed to have. And that was it for whatever it was he planned for us. But that's, that's, you know, it's not about what you have and you don't have. It's not about that. Solomon prayed this way, Lord, don't let me be empty that I be hungry and curse you. And don't give me so much that I'm full and forget you. I don't want, I don't want one thing more than God wants me to have. I don't want one thing less. Some of you read what I occasionally post on the, on, on Facebook and other places that I, I get a word and I put it out there and, and you know, people want to talk about it. Well, you talk. I'm not going to get into discussion on that. It's a pulpit. And what you think about what he says is between you and him. I don't have to defend it. Right? Oh, Jesus. So you use social media. No, I preach on social media. I don't use social media. Period. Oh, Jesus. But I I, I put on there, (laughs) I don't want anything God's not giving. Because if he's not giving it, then I don't need it. Because He will give me what I need. And it won't be more or less than He says I need. Now, what I say need and what He means by need is not the same thing. I don't want natural stuff. The lack of it or the abundance of it. We got possessions. Who's doing the possessing? Do we possess our possessions? Or do they possess us? 
If you got to spend so much time taking care of your possessions, you don't have time to pray. You don't have time to reach the lost. You don't have time for Bible studies. You might need to get rid of some stuff that's possessing you. I'm hoping that they, uh, well, there were four nights messages at General Conference. They were absolutely apostolic words from God. One of them was on the night of foreign missions, and the missionary, they could not stream that night because it was so dangerous for this missionary. He's in a nation in the world where he'd be killed if he was identified as a missionary. That's no exaggeration. In fact, I'm on the general board, and they won't even tell us what nations he's in. It's that tenuous. But they had him preach Wednesday night. Oh my. I said to Brother Bernard, our general superintendent, on uh, Friday. I said, Brother Bernard, whatever has to happen. If they let him take out whatever parts he's not comfortable with, even if they have to put his voice through a synthesizer so his voice is not recognized, the people of God that weren't there need to hear this message. It wasn't a guilt trip. He didn't put us on a guilt trip. But he preached with love and boldness and challenged the people of God. And it's a little hard to reject the challenge because of the messenger. His life, his family's and kids' lives are in danger every day. And he stands up there and tells us, I don't live in fear. I'm in the will of God. Whatever he lets happen, it happens. Why can I be that way? Because I'm committed to His will, whatever that may be. There are people sitting in this room right now. You've kind of pulled back from God a little bit because you were all gung-ho with Him as long as it seemed He was letting you have your way and fulfill your dreams. And the moment it became obvious that He shut some doors that were open as a test. Now all of a sudden, but I, but I did this and that and, and I've done all this to have this and to be able to do this and, and now he's not letting me do it. No, it's a test. What's the test? To see what means the most to you. To see who means the most to you. So if you're just looking for some place to go to church a couple of times a week, and that's extreme, isn't it? Well, I go to church two times, three times a week. I must be pretty spiritual. Really? Really? I know people that watch football games two, three, four times a week. I guess they're spiritual, huh? I guess their God is blessing them. Right? Surely. Oh, God understands 
how bad, how bad my situation is. He understands. Yeah, he does, you know, because he never went through any difficult stuff. Neither did the apostles. They, they had, it was a big, it was like being in a five star resort for them all the time. People waiting on them all the time. No, no. No. Hey, don't you just love the Lord's retirement plan for the apostles? It was absolutely awesome. The retirement plan for the awesome, the, all the apostles was awesome. They just all died. They were killed. That's horrible. Really? You mean the people we quote in this book and read about in this book, the way that the Lord didn't let them get old. Old, old. Well, I don't want to die. That's exactly right. Because if you already are dead in Christ, it doesn't matter to you when he chooses for your life to be over. And if you don't want to die, that means you're not, you haven't died out to him and yourself yet. I quoted it this morning when we prayed for Brother Josh Lewis. Except a grain of wheat fall in the ground and die... It abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. What does die mean? It means you give up your will to him. Not to the pastor, not to the bishop, not to the church. You give up your will to the Lord Jesus Christ. Between you and him. What is he going to make me do? (laughs) Let me tell you about Jesus. You get your check out. Your figurative check. And you don't fill out the name, and you don't fill out the amount, and you don't put the date on it. You just sign it and say, here, Jesus. Here it is, Jesus. Here it is, Jesus. You just fill in the date, the time, and what you want. I'm yours. It was an amazing thing Wednesday night. There was a $3.2 million offering given by those present and those that were uh, had, had already committed because people were, should have been told they couldn't watch online because it wasn't going to be. They had some other stuff they did for those that were online. And uh, I know the people that were involved in that. We talked about it, whatever. But $3.2 million. So that's a lot of money. Really? Really? I gave... X amount of, I gave, really? I haven't given anything in my life. I never gave him any, I've never given anything. So when you, uh, when you have money in a bank and you take a check to cash, does the teller say, I'm giving you this money? When they cash that check, is that a gift from them to you? Hello? Ooh. I'm asking a question. Oh, yeah, you know, it's amazing how much we like to live on two sides of the coin. We don't want to, you know, it's different when it's one way than it is when it's the other. So, so that's what I'm asking you. If, if, if you, if you wrote a check and the bank said, well, there's money in your account, but we can't cash this because we don't want to give this, you this money right now. We're using this money. You don't need... It's, 
But it's my money. No, you put it in the bank. And so it's ours now. And if it works okay, we'll give it back to you maybe someday. Now, how long would you stay at that bank? Hello? Yeah. How long would you stay, leave your funds in that bank? No. The bank is just a steward of your funds. They don't own your funds. And when you write a check, you expect that to be honored. Well, you and I are just stewards of everything God has given us. We don't own any of it. If you own it, you're not saved. Because if you own your money, you own you too. And you are not, you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Now you either believe the Bible or you don't. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Now this is Sunday night. This isn't Sunday morning. Okay? I preach this Sunday morning, this morning on this, this subject. If Jesus gave his life for you, what is there that you need or want that he won't give that to you if you'll let him. You'll have to listen to the message if you weren't here. That's Sunday morning's message. This is Sunday night. Yeah. So tonight, it's about what he wants you to give him. This morning was about what he was willing to give you. Tonight's about what he wants you to give him. But see, it's not giving. I, I, it just bothers me no end when preachers get up and take sacrificial offerings. What? There's no such thing as a sacrificial offering. you got to own something to sacrifice. But see, it's not about money. People want to talk about, well, giving. All that church wants is giving. Nah. Nah. This church doesn't want your money we serve a God that wants you. If he gets you, he'll get whatever he, he has. You have whatever he's given you. And when he's ready for it, he'll talk to you. Oh, Lord. How about this? I don't have much. I can't afford to give much. Wait, 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 wait a minute. He's not going to ask you to give what you don't, what he hadn't given. He supplies it. You give it. Okay. Isn't it amazing that the rich and the poor have the same attitude toward giving to God? Those that don't have money can't afford to give to God. And those that are too rich, they can't afford to give to God either. Huh? How does that work like that? Oh, that's right. Those that don't have any money, they don't have anything to give. Those that got a bunch of money, they've got, they've got all these bills. They've got to pay for all these toys they bought. So they don't have any money they can't get. Are you kidding? Sell your toys. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. 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 Let's go to Matthew 6.33. Okay. You can put that up there, but I want to access the Greek also, so I will go to that in here so I can push the word and get the Greek word up here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here's what the word seek means. To seek, to crave, to strive after, to aim at. So we, we've got this, these three words all connected to righteousness. Hunger, thirst, seek. You understand, please? That these words are not neutral and they're sure not passive. This is an active thing. Well, what do you mean seek for righteousness? What do you mean hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, that's it. I said all this to get to the point. To try to lay the foundation so you'll see if something is this important to God. Shouldn't it be important enough to you to find out what it is? Shouldn't it be important to God, to you, to find out what it is? If it's this important to God, shouldn't it be this important to you? You know, (laughs) this has been an amazing journey. Amazing journey. 49 years here so far. I've been in the ministry for 51 years. And 49 of those years has been in this city. This area. And it's, it's, there's some things I've never figured out. You, there's some people that come in. And, and, and you, you see what God has given them. You see the... The intelligence, and you see the, the 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 talents, and you see the the the, uh, the personality that God gave them, and you think to yourself, man, if that person would just be dedicated, they could set the world on fire. But so often, those people, they don't make it because they see the price is too high. And then there, then you see the the opposite end, people that come, and you think. They got nothing to give. I don't mean money. They got nothing to give. They got nothing to give. They, you know, they, they bankrupted their lives in sin. They, they, they've, they've let sin ravage them. And it's just, they got nothing to give. The Lord loves them and He's going to save them, but there's just nothing that they're going to be able to give. And I've been wrong so many times on those accounts that I stopped trying to guess. In advance. Just okay Lord. You know. You see. You see. This is the thing. When we look at a person. We see who they are. When God looks at a person. He sees. What and who he can make them to be. If they let him. And you know what. I'm telling you right now. It almost never is close to the same thing. So often, what you see a person to be is not who they turn out to be. Because God sees, He can take the high and mighty and low and mighty and everything in between and take them into His kingdom and He can do great things with them. But unfortunately, some have so much to lose. 
that that potential is never given to God. It's never given to God. You know, and (laughs) here's the problem. I was raised in the church. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted alcohol that I know of. I was uh, on a Mediterranean cruise, not on a cruise ship, but on a on a uh, guided missile cruiser, <laughs> and we were in Naples. And I wanted to go to church, and I found a Pentecostal church. I don't even know what they believe, but it was some kind of Pentecostal church. And I went. I didn't understand a word of their service. I barely speak English. Forget Italian. And uh, and it was uh, one of those churches that was still doing the Catholic tradition. All the women sat on one side, all the men sat on the other. And since it was obvious I was different because I was in a U.S. Navy officer's uniform, they brought me right down front, set me on the front row. People were smiling and shaking head. They were really nice. Well, there's one couple, family, that was kind of, uh, they spoke the most English of anybody in the building, which wasn't much. Invited me to their house. Well, I didn't have to be back on board ship till that evening. So I went to their house. And they poured some stuff into a glass for me. The Bible says, don't ask any questions for conscience sake. I have surmised later, years later, that that must have been wine. It wasn't grape juice. It smelled weird. And it tasted even more weird. And I I thought to myself, I, I don't know what I'm drinking. But if it's what I think it may be. I don't know what the big deal is because I, I, it's okay with me if I never drink anything like this the rest of my life. Okay? So if you loved wine, you notice I said past tense. <laughs> God bless you. Just another sacrifice you made, right? A sacrifice. Another sacrifice, Right? I've never done any of those things. Do you think I'm saying I'm better than somebody that's done all of that and worse? No, I'm not at all. But I will tell you this. The most difficult people to see see saved are those that were raised in the church and never known the depth of sin. You know how hard it is to hunger and thirst for something You've never experienced the bitter need of. You know how many kids have been raised in this church over the years that are not Christians today? Oh, and I know. I know how parents are. I understand. I'm not being critical. But we're going to do everything we can to find an excuse for our kids. Slight problem. There are kid, people sitting here aren't kids anymore that experienced the same stuff your kids did, and they're here. So at some point, you're going to pray for your, your children, even though they're adults, and you may be even a grandfather or grandmother. Someday you're going to pray for them and acknowledge the truth. They've gone the way they've gone by their own choice. And if you excuse them... You don't have to criticize them. You don't have to be in their face, but 
Lord, have mercy. Don't, don't justify what they're doing. Don't justify it. God doesn't expect you to be in their face all the time. He expects you to be in His face praying for your kids. He's not expecting you to be in their, their face rebuking them on everything that comes along. That doesn't work either. Let me tell you something. I know. I've got, well, this is being streamed, so i got to be whatever, but I have relatives that a close relative of mine was in their face all the time. And they hate the church. Of course, they, they say they love me, and I have to remind them I'm in that church they hate. And I've said to them, you, you can blame the church all you want, but it's not the church was the one that treated you like that's the problem. Absolutely. If this life is temporary, if it's temporary, then what is its number one purpose? To see who it is, what's in the heart Humans, I'm not going to say heart of man. That's King James terminology. That's in the heart of humans that either desires to know God or doesn't want God bothering their lives. One person called that this this life the seedbed for eternity. God is testing to see who it is that is qualified to be trained and equipped to be a part of what he's going to do for eternity. And he's not the one that accepts or rejects. We accept or reject him. And when we all stand before the judgment seat, there's not going to be any excuses being made. Now, think about this. You're in eternity now. There's no clock. There's no sun. There's no moon. There's none of that. We're all standing before the great white throne judgment. And nobody is going to accuse God for whatever the judgment is. I wonder if that's because somehow, let's just suppose somehow, he's, we've got time. We got time because there is no time. What if for every individual that's ever lived, He plays for all to see the audio and video of your thoughts and motives for your whole life that's uncovered by the blood. Every thought you've had that was contrary to the word that you never repented for. Every motive you've had, every selfish motive that says, I don't need God, I don't want God, I'm living my life, I'm fine like I am. For everybody to see it here. I don't know if he's going to do that because he has the capability of just putting that in everybody's mind in an instant so that we all know that. Because let me tell you this. When people go to hell from that judgment seat, nobody's going to accuse God of being unjust, unrighteous, unfair. That means everybody's going to know what he judged that person for. Because actually, you see, the judgment seat is not going to be God judging. 
He's just going to give the verdict and the sentence on the judging that I've done and the decisions I've made. Isn't it an amazing thing that all of my wrong choices, wrong decisions, wrong feelings, he's made it possible for that to all be covered by the blood and never again. Paul said it this way. Some men's sins go before them to judgment. Other men's sins they follow after. Well, that's not some arbitrary thing, beloved. That's not some arbitrary thing. I can choose to take all of my wrong choices, all of my sins, send them before their judgment, and have them dealt with by the blood of Jesus and the love of God. So that when I get there, nobody is going to know about my past. Because I took advantage of what the, the love of God has provided. So that all of my past is covered by the blood. But some men's sins, and again that's not, it's humans. Their sins are going to follow after them. That means they're going to get to the judgment. But all that stuff that's uncovered by the blood is going to get there after they get to the judgment. Instead of having it all answered for and dealt with in advance, it's all going to be dealt with. Standing right there, and as the saying goes, in front of God and everybody. It's going to happen right there in front of God and everybody. That's not fair. Oh, it is fair. What do you think you and I are doing here? It is our responsibility to tell people. It's going to be one of both, one of those two ways, only one of those two ways. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. I either believe God and let Him love me and, and, and let His, His Word and blood and spirit and all that take all those sins before me to judgment so they can all be taken care of. Or I choose to live my way, do my thing and, 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 and essentially spit in the face of God and His love. And all of that's going to follow me to the judgment seat. You know, here we can blame everybody else but ourselves and not take, we can become the victim and we can, we can blame everybody else but ourselves and not take any personal responsibility for any of our choices. That might work for you here or you think it's working for you here, but that's not going to work in eternity. Now, whether you realize it or not, I just told you why you want righteousness. Because the root word of the word translated righteous is innocent. Put on the screen for me, please, one of my the verses that's really affected my life. Psalms 32 and 1. Psalms 32 and 1. Blessed is the man, again, or blessed is he. But again, it's not males, it's everybody. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is he 
whose transgression, whose, whose uh, transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Covered. How about Romans chapter 4 verse 7? Paul is quoting these verses, that, that verse. But listen to the way it's said in the New Testament. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Iniquity. What is iniquity? It was September 2013. I'm sitting at my desk studying, preparing for the call to war that was going to come up in a couple of months. And... Uh, and, and the Lord began to talk to me. And uh, he was talking to me about the war that happened in heaven and Satan getting cast out. He said, what was Lucifer's sin? And I gave the answer I'd been given all my life. Pride! And the Lord says to me, where's the scripture that says that? We talk like that. Prayer's not a one-way conversation. And I, I'm sitting in front of my computer, so I, I'm gonna, I'm not trying to show God, but I'm trying to show myself, cause I've, I've preached that up for years. That the sin of heaven was pride. Sin of Lucifer in heaven was pride, that's what got him kicked out. Well, guess what? There's no such verse anywhere in the Bible that says the sin of Lucifer was pride. In fact, I believe it's, if I'm not Forgetting this, I may not remember my name or yours, but I can remember these scriptures by the Holy Ghost. Ezekiel twenty-eight fifteen, I think it is. Let's see if that's it. That was perfect. Let's read verse uh, 14 just so you get some idea. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Next verse. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till. Till. Iniquity was found in thee. Iniquity. Well, here's the problem. When translators are translating Greek or Hebrew... 99% of the time, they're translating it intellectually. The problem is, they translate a word, not understanding that God, who calls those things that are not in the end of the thing before the beginning, when he uses a word like iniquity, which is, which is uh, wickedness by some scholars. That's the definition by some scholars. The Greek and the Hebrew word is wickedness. That when God uses that word... He's using the end result to talk about, uh, to, to show you the, 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 the seriousness of it. But he's not telling you how you get to wickedness. What is the process that gets you to iniquity? Well, another definition of iniquity is lawlessness. Oh, now we're getting closer. What was the problem? The problem is, and was, Lucifer decided he wanted to be like God. Now, God is everywhere. Lucifer's in one spot. So he didn't, he knew he couldn't be God. He wanted to be like God. 
Well, what was it about God that Lucifer wanted to be like? God made the decisions. Lucifer wanted to make his own decisions. When you make your own decisions, you're rejecting the authority of God. And the result of that is lawlessness or iniquity. Uh, If iniquity got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, how can I go to heaven if I live in unrepented, unforgiven iniquity? Do you know how many people sincerely pray prayers of iniquity? Well, what is a prayer of iniquity? God, I want. I want. Or let's say it this way in a little more theological terminology. God, I will. It is my will. I want you to do this, God. And you know what's so insidious about that? I'm praying. I'm praying. Surely this makes me righteous. I'm praying. And I'm telling God my will and that I want Him to do my will. You may call it prayer, but what it is, it's an act of iniquity. A deceptive, deluded, unrighteous, Act of iniquity. Because I'm presuming to tell God what to do. No wonder the Bible says in in Romans chapter 8 verse 26. We have an infirmity. What is that infirmity? We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities. Making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans 8.27 says, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the the mind of the Spirit and maketh intercession for us according to the... What's it say? According to the will of God. You know the biggest challenge of praying in the language of your mind? What do I pray? How do I make sure by the grace of God That I'm not praying my will instead of His. Well, the book says I can ask what I will. Uh Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. But we we only read what we want to hear. So, (laughs) how about uh, John chapter 15 and verse 7. If ye abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now we take that last part of that verse, and we uh, there it is right there. I could ask what I will, and it should be done. Yeah, yeah. But what will I will? I'm abiding in him, and his words abiding in me. 
Am I going to ask something contrary to his word or his will? No. No. Do you know how much certainty that I can have that God will hear my prayer when I'm praying his will? How about 1 John chapter 3? Let's try verse 20 just in case. It's close by there somewhere. 1 John chapter 3 verse 20. 1 John, not Isaiah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know who you are up there. I can't see the face, but I'm going to tell you something right now. You've done a really good job. You're quick. All right, let's, let's try verse 19 first. I want to get here. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Next verse. And if our heart condemn us not, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Next verse. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Next verse. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, maybe it's an, I, that's good, and I knew there was talked about it there. I thought it said it there. I think it's, somebody help me real quick here. I think it's First uh, John maybe uh, 4 where it says, we know he hears us if we do his will, or if, if we do his will, we know he hears us, something like that. Someone, come on, come on. This is, it, when I was a young person in school, we, we had Bibles back then, you know, not iPads. And we did what we call sword drill. And they would, they would, they would, they would give you a book, chapter, and verse. And we'd see who could turn to it and stand and read it the quickest. Hallelujah. All right. Nobody's got that yet? You've got electronic search on your phone and device. Come on now. What? First John 5.15. Thank you. Uh, let's try 14 to get to this. And this is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything. What? What does it say? What does it say? According to whose will? If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Next verse. And if we know that he hears us, hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Well, of course. It was his idea in the first place. He's just waiting for somebody to complete the, the faith cycle and ask for it and believe for it. He's wanting to do it all along. It's his will. That's it. But he's bound by his own word. He can't give us what we're not going to have faith for. Well, if it's his will, why don't he just do it? Because that's not how it works. His plan is... He uses men as vessels and instruments to do his will in the earth. Really? Well, yeah. You know why? If that wasn't the case, why did God have to become a man so he could do it through a man? He became a man because it was his plan to work through men. So... <laughs> Why do we need to pray 
Our Father which art in heaven, and I don't mean repeat the words, but pray these elements, hallowed be thy name, or sanctify your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. God's God. Can he just do that? Can he just do his will on earth? No. He's purposed that he's not doing anything in the earth without having a human conduit or agency through which he does that. And think of this. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, high, low, in, between, left. It doesn't matter. If I'm willing to give myself to him and become a conduit to let him work through me, pray through me, speak through me, I can be a part of that exercise in partnership with God so he can do that stuff. So he can do that. Now here's our problem. (laughs) Because we're praying his will. Not our will. If we're not dead to self. And his will doesn't really affect us. Or his will is not something we want. Why am I going to waste my time praying something. That's not going to do anything for me. Or pray something that's going to cost me in the process. Why am I going to do that? Because the greatest privilege of life is to be a fellow laborer with God. Oh, let me tell you something. (laughs) I'm talking about righteousness. See, all of this is what righteousness is, every bit of this. How about this one? Here's another part of righteousness, right? How about... Matthew chapter 11. Let's start with verse. I usually start with verse 28. Let's start with verse 25. Let's see, let's see the, the preamble, which is not a preamble at all. So it's amazing stuff before we get to the verses I'm looking for. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes, not infants, spiritual babes. Even so, Father, for it, it seems, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man hath, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. How are you going to reveal the Father to me, Jesus? Oh, my. <laughs> How are you going to reveal the Father to me, Jesus? Come unto me, he said. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, King James, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. No man knows the Father except those that the Son reveals the Father to them. How are you going to do that, Jesus? Come to me. 
Come to me. All ye that are laboring and are heavy laden. When you study those words in the Greek, here's what you find. You find that it's not talking about those that are under bondage to horrible things in their life. But those who are heavily weighted down by spiritual expectations they can't meet. Come unto me, all ye that are weary. 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 I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to live right. But it's hard. And I'm exhausted. Oh, it's so hard to do everything that's preached to us. It's so hard. I can't do it. Uh, weary and heavy laden. Now, let me tell you something. That is a nautical term. The Greek word literally means it's a reference to what is put on a ship. The cargo they put on a ship is called laden. Now, in naval architecture, every ship is designed that it's, it's, it is at its most stable in the water if the ship is loaded to the point that it's down where that water line, and every ship's got one. It's called the water line. The, the ship wants to sit in the water at its very, its most stable. It is sitting down in the water to where the water is just below the water line. Why? Because if it is sitting up high and there's a lot of hull between the water line and the water, in any kind of storm, that ship is all top heavy and it's gonna, it's gonna capsize because it can't, it's not stable. The center of gravity is too high in self. But if the ship is overloaded, so the water line is below the surface of the water, in a storm, the gunnel or the sides of the ship is too low, too close to the water, and waves can swamp that ship and it will sink from swamping. But if it's properly loaded... It sits at its safest so it doesn't capsize. Okay? It doesn't capsize. And it also doesn't get swamped. You ever seen any pictures or movies of an aircraft carrier with its flight deck 100 feet off the water in storms where there's waves crashing over the top of the flight deck? You say, look at all that ship out of the water. How's it stable? Because you don't see everything that's beneath the water that's keeping it stable. So he said, come unto me, all you that are, that are weary, and you've got so much load on you that the water line is below the surface. If you come to me, I will give you rest. This Greek word means cessation from all labor. You cannot have righteousness. Because Isaiah 32 says, I forget the verse. I think it's 32, 15, I believe. I don't remember. The work of righteousness is peace. So when I've accepted this work of righteousness in my life that takes away guilt... 
takes away shame. And I've received this innocence as a gift from God that I didn't earn and didn't deserve, but it's given to me because He loves me. He takes all that guilt away and I'm now innocent. When I receive that as a gift and I'm empowered when I have righteousness, the Holy Ghost is then able to empower me through that righteousness to do those things I cannot do myself. And the first step of all of this, the first step of righteousness, of truly walking in righteousness, is you quit trying to be righteous by your good deeds. You quit trying to be righteous by what you do. And you let Him give you righteousness. And that righteousness at work in you causes you to do good deeds that He takes credit for. You know, we've all, parents have done it. We've all done it. You, you, you leave your kids someplace, you know, whatever is going on. And what do you say to them? Come on, what do we say? Be good. Be good. What? You know what I'm communicating to that child? That they should have the power and the ability to be good. And what's the implication? If you're not good and I come home or I I come to pick you up and I found out you are not good, I'm not going to be happy. So what do we grow up believing? We grow up believing that God says, be good. And if you're not, he's not happy. Well, you're saying God's okay with my sin? No, I'm not saying God's okay with your sin. God just knows if you're trying to be good, not going to happen. So what does that mean? That means he's happy that you're finding out you can't do it. He's not happy for your failures, but he's happy that you're finding out you can't do it yourself. You can't do it. Now, <laughs> if I was 6'6", six, six, about 20 years old, uh, I probably could dunk the ball. Right? Today, right now, if he required me to dunk the ball, I'd want to know where's the ladder. <laughs> Have you got a trampoline I can jump off of? Jump off of something on too, maybe bounce up high enough. Without breaking my neck. We got a sister from another congregation that was on a youth activity to one of those trampoline places and she had surgery on her knee. From a trampoline. So I don't really want a trampoline, I'm just using that as an illustration. We got one in the backyard for the kids. I've never been on it. I like my feet on the ground. I don't, you know, I like to fly. I just don't want to bounce. Been there, done that. I did that all that in high school, right? But <laughs> the point is, the greatest place of humility you will ever be is to finally acknowledge what you cannot do yourself. Come unto me. This is again back to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me. He didn't say come to church. We, we come to church not to be saved. We come to church because we are saved. 
Coming in those doors is not going to save you. There's no church building in the world. You can walk in their building and it's going to save you. And you're not lost because you don't come to church. But if you're saved, you're a part of the body. And you want to be a part of the body. And you want to fellowship with the body. So you come not because of obligation and pressure. You come because you're a part of the body. I've heard the stories of the links that you've gone to since you've gotten saved to get to church. Why? Who's making you do that? Nobody. Your desire. Your desire caused you to go to all those links. God wasn't pressuring you to do that. You wanted to do it. That's the deal, isn't it? So come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Next verse. Take my yoke upon you. I cannot describe righteousness any more clearly than this simple illustration that Jesus chose to use. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, (laughs) the way that oxen work is this. A farmer will always pair an older seasoned oxen in the yoke with a younger oxen on the other side. And all that younger, less trained oxen has to do is to keep up with the senior oxen, the older guy. You don't go faster than he's going. You don't go younger. Why? Because that yoke is two U's connected. And from a perspective basis, if I'm looking perpendicular to that yoke, that space is at its maximum. But if you twist the yoke, What appears, that same space, it's the same space, but it decreases effectively because you've twisted it. So this is the deal. If I'm yoked up with Jesus, and instead of staying in step with Him, I'm ahead of Him, I'm behind Him, He's turning and I'm not turning, I'm turning, uh, or or uh, he's, uh, He's not turning and I'm turning, I'm constantly twisting that yoke. And it binds the neck. It's, it, it, you could actually, you could injure or kill one or both those oxen if, if, if one of them really got out of sorts completely. So the point is this. That older, stronger oxen carries the load. And that younger oxen in the other side only tries to stay in step. That is the perfect picture of righteousness. Because you get in a yoke with Jesus. He didn't yoke you up to nothing. He yokes you up to himself. He's not putting you in a yoke he's not in. He's not asking any commitment of you that he's not making back to you. In fact, he's already in the yoke. So he's making a commitment to you, asking you to make the commitment to him. Oh, Brother Wright, boy, things are so hard. I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. Oh, Brother Wright, this is hard. This stuff you preach and everybody else preach, this is hard. Yes, and it's kind of binding on the neck, isn't it? 
fact, sometimes you have a hard time breathing, don't you? Because you're so out of step with the Lord. That thing is so binded down on you, it's cutting off your windpipe. You can't even breathe. You get in step with Jesus, you stay in step with Jesus, and it'll blow your mind how the biggest trial is not that hard. Because he's carrying all the load. And you know what he said? If I'd get in that yoke and stay in that yoke with him, here's the number one blessing. I would learn of him. Learn of whom? Not just the son. I would learn about the father in the son. And what am I going to learn? I'm going to learn that he is meek and lowly in heart. That's King James language for two things. He is gentle. The word meek means gentle. And the second word means humble. God is humble. That's the most amazing. When I first, he first began to talk to me about this years ago, I'm saying, God is humble? Yes. Isn't it amazing how humble God is? Why do I say that? Because he doesn't need to vindicate himself on every ignoramus that stands in his face and shakes his fist at him. <laughs> because if God wasn't humble, you'd have piles of ashes all over the place. It'd just be piles of ashes. Because God is not humble. And so you defy me, take that. I'm serious. That's exactly what God's saying to us. That he is humble enough that he doesn't need to vindicate himself on every ignorant human being that challenges someone they don't even know and, can, and don't know anything about. So he's gentle. You ever been to a doctor who says, does this hurt? Does this hurt? You will get to meet him. Uh, the week before Thanksgiving at Paz. But Brother Shelton has a son now. He's a couple of years old. I don't think he's been here. His name is Malachi. And uh, all three of their children have been adopted, but you wouldn't know it. They've got this young man since he was the day he was born. He looks just like Brother Shelton. Built like him too. And he loves Power Rangers. He really does. He's learned, he's two. He's learned the karate kick. He, he, he shadow boxes, and I mean, he's got it. It's, he, thro he, he throws his hips and comes from here, boom. Now, I didn't think anything of that until he was sitting in his mother's lap, and one of his sisters were all up in her face, kissing her all over the face, and he told her to stop. He told you'd be proud of him, Josh. Oh, wh what a punch that was! I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just simply saying. Just, I, I don't know why I'm telling this, but I, I'm telling. Okay, he told her to stop. He was in his mother's lap. He didn't. He wasn't. He didn't feel like sharing right then. Well, she didn't stop. She looked at him and said, "She didn't." You, you could see it in her eyes. She said, "You're not telling me what to do." Before any of us knew what he happened, it was. It was. It wasn't beautiful because she got hit. It was beautiful. I, he's a two-year-old throwing a punch. I, he ain't made a perfect fist. He came from here. Boom. And we were all going, ah, 
I couldn't believe this. I don't know why I'm t- why am I telling that? That's why I'm telling it. You need to laugh just a minute because it was pretty heavy in here. So I can go back now that you've had a little chuckle. I am not saying it was okay for him to hit his sister. I'm not saying that at all. I was just admiring his technique. (laughs) I would have preferred he to hit a punching bag. Thankfully, he didn't damage her. It was all taken care of. They disciplined him. Nobody, you know, all of this was my own thoughts because I wasn't his dad and I didn't have to do anything about it. I forgot what I was talking about, but we'll, we'll go back to Arote. The yoke is not an imprisonment. It's an invitation to a commitment to Jesus that he's making to you first far greater than the commitment he's asking back from you. This is righteousness. I get in the yoke with him because he has taken away all of my load, all of my weariness and all of my load from trying to be right by doing right. And now I'm in this yoke with him and all the things he requires of me, he's pulling the load and all I have to do is just be in step. Just stay in step. Just stay in step. There's some of you right now. Life is so difficult for you. Nothing's working for you. Nothing's working for you. Everything is so difficult. You you, you don't have what you need. You you can't. The opportunities aren't there. You don't have any way to, to, to get what you need. And you're just weary. And there's some of us sitting here. You're so overwhelmed with success. Success absolutely owns you. You are just as wearied, just as, as stressed as the person that doesn't know where the next meal is coming from because you've given yourself to all of that and you don't have time for Jesus. And we give this lip service to Jesus and we're not in the yoke. We just give the lip service. But we don't mean it because I got this. I got this. I got this, Lord. I'll check with you in case there's a problem. I got this. Years ago, years ago, I was struggling to pray consistent. I don't know what my problem was. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what my problem was. Lord, I know I need to pray. I want to pray. Why don't I pray consistently? This was back in the 70s. And, and, and he said, because you don't believe you need to pray. Lord, your word says I need to pray. I, I know I need to pray. No, no, he sa- you say that. But you don't really believe you need to pray. And I said, why? He said, because I said, without me, you can do nothing. But you don't pray like somebody that believes. Without me, you can do nothing. And I said, Lord, I, I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be, I want to be your conduit. I, I want you to work through me. I want to be a partner with you. Teach me that without you, I can do nothing. I told that, shared that with a couple of people. They said, Oh, don't ever pray that. You don't know what he'll do. 
Who, the devil? I trust my father. I wanted my father to teach me. And obviously he didn't think I believed. And my prayer life proved I didn't believe that without him I could do nothing. You know what? He did. He taught me. He blessed me so that everything I tried to do that I hadn't really committed to him, found his will on and prayed, didn't work at all. And this went on weeks and months and months and months. Why did it take that long? Because I'm hard-headed. Nobody else in the building is hard-headed, but I am. I'm stubborn. Nobody else in the building is stubborn, but I am. And he had to do it over and over and over again to get my attention. Well, you know what? You can believe what you want to believe. And people looking at the, from the outside this direction, and you can't see it here. I don't know my heart. You don't need to know it either. But I'm going to tell you right now, he proved to me that without him I could do nothing. And hardly a day ever goes by that I don't pray that and say that, confessing that the first thing in the mornings. After I have praised him and loved him and thanked him for his goodness and bringing me through the night and whatever, I began to confess, Father, without you, I can do nothing. I receive your grace today. To empower me to do what I cannot do. Because without you, I can do nothing. I say those words. I want my flesh. I want to say it out loud. I don't want to think it just thinking. I want to say it out loud so my flesh in my ears can hear me confessing to God. Without you, I can do nothing. I receive your grace to empower me to do what I need to do. Now, I, I'm trying to quit, uh, but some of you just, just go ahead and take your nap. Let me finish up with those that are listening, and uh, I'll, I'll quit as soon as the Lord lets me. That was supposed to be funny. You didn't laugh. I guess I, it was too close to home, wasn't it? <laughs> I thought I was being funny, but it was <laughs> too, uh, <clears throat> it wasn't funny at all, was it? It was kind of really close to the deal, wasn't it? Well, you don't have to put up with me again for a while, so who knows when the next time is. So just take these this morning tonight, add it together, and divide it by the number of weeks I don't preach. And you'll see how long these two messages are. They're not very long at all, see? Just average it out between now and my next time. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That wasn't the son talking. That was the father talking through the son. Here's how you're going to learn who I am and what I am. That I, the creator of the universe, am so gentle no matter what, what, what of your wounds I'm handling. I will not mistreat your wounds. I will not, I'll be very gentle with your most tender areas of life. And I'm not so, and I'm humble enough that when you have your bad days and you want to yell at me, I just step back and let you vent it. And 
say, okay, are you done now? I'm meek, and you'll learn I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you'll find what? Rest for your souls. The Greek word there in verse 29 is not the same Greek word in verse 28. The Greek word in verse 28 means cessation from all labor. The Greek word in verse 29 means essentially rest in your labor. How can I rest in my labor? Because I'm in this yoke where all I'm doing is keeping up. I'm not doing the work. So I have rest in my labor. And then he said, just to, just to bring home the point I made about twisting and all of that. He said, for my yoke is easy. It means it's, it's comfortable. It fits comfortably. My yoke does not bind. My yoke does not punish or, or whatever. The only way you're experiencing any kind of discomfort from my yoke is when you won't stay in step with me. Because it's my plan. It's my plan for my yoke to be comfortable. And I'll make your burdens light. Because I'm the one carrying the load and all you're doing is staying in step with me. It'll seem like there's nothing being pulled at all. So you get your burdens dealt with. And you don't feel like you're doing anything. And guess what the benefit is? You get to fellowship with me the whole time. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I need to pray for you. It's only 8 o'clock and you're acting like I've been going hours and hours. I have friends who need to lose weight so badly that they had that lap band surgery. I don't know if you have or not. I don't, I don't keep up with that. And something in me said, you know, and I, I've got friends, I'm telling you, they were so obese and so absolutely in danger of dying from their overweight. That they did that. And I don't condemn that at all. I'm glad they did something to, to try to fix it. But I wanted, I, I wanted to let God do this. So that he got all the credit. I was with one friend just a, a month after he had his lap band surgery. Actually, he didn't have that. He had stomach reduction surgery. The doctor went in and cut out about two-thirds of his stomach and sewed the rest of it together. He could only, he could only eat just little handfuls of stuff. We, we, were, we were in a place where we had to eat in a restaurant, and, and he'd, he'd eat a bite, bite or two of this, a bite or two of that, and a bite or two of this, and he was done. I said, I, what happens if you eat more than that? He says, it won't stay down. I don't get sick. It just won't stay. There's not a capacity for it. It has to come out. Well, the distressing thing to me is this. It's how little capacity the people of God this day and time have for the Word of God. How little capacity we have. 
Man, he went a whole hour tonight. Really? So all those movies you watch, they're all less than an hour? Huh? Or when you binge on all those shows on that season of whatever it is you're watching, you, you, don't, you never watch more than one of them. It's only 45 minutes. You never walk 44 minutes to be exact. You don't ever watch more than one of those times, do you? Ever. Because it's just too much, isn't it? I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to make a point here. No, 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 no. I don't like the long movies. They, they have to be under six hours. Yeah, right. No, we've got capacity. We just don't have a capacity for the word. If I were you, I'd recommend you pray the same thing that I prayed. I want a hunger for the word. If my soul is being talked to, I don't want God to quit before he's done. And I'm done. He's not, but I am. He's, he's let me know it's time for me to quit. There's more he wants to say, but I can't. I don't mean that unkind. Because for some of you, if I keep feeding, you're just going to have to spit it up. You don't have the room to keep it down. I'm not being unkind. I'm trying to help you. Make, I'm making a point. This should disturb you. That's why we're building a brand new video studio over here so I can go in there and teach six or eight hours at a time. So at least it's made available. So when you do your snack of an hour of video, you can do that every day and get more word that way. And maybe, I'm not, again, I know it sounds like I'm being sarcastic and unkind. I am not. I am deadly serious. Now, that same guy that had that stomach cut away and only had a little bit left, that's been about three or four years now. I go in the restaurant with him, and uh, he eats pretty normal. Why? Because he stretched his, what was left of his stomach back out. And he lost like 150 pounds, but there's been a little bit put back on now that his stomach capacity has been stretched. Now, that's a negative thing, but I want my capacity for the word to be stretched. I want it. I want it. I want it. Oh, let me tell you something. There is nothing in this world like being in the flow of the Holy Ghost and he's talking to you. Whatever means he's using, he's talking and you're receiving. He's talking and you're receiving. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I, uh, I have preferred fried food all my life, but, you know, 10 fried shrimp are like 25 points, and 10 grilled shrimp are like no points. Now, which am I going to eat? Let's see. I only get 32 points in a day. So which one of those am I going to eat? Well, I love fried catfish. Sorry, I do. Well, I mean, fried catfish is two fillets of fried catfish, depending on which fit where they're fixing. It's 25 or 30 points. But catfish fillet grilled, no points.
Guess what? Since April the 14th, I've gotten the place. I can't ever imagine eating fried catfish again. Not really. It is really good grilled. I realized that all that breading and grease that they fried in blocks the taste of the catfish. I can taste the fish now. I can taste the fish. And so, so much preaching today is conditioned by what will make it appeal to your taste buds. And you don't get the word. You're just getting the taste of the surface stuff. The word, the word, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That word is life and life and life. And you eat some word, that's solid food, and you drink here some Holy Ghost, that's living water, wash it down with, and you eat eat, eat eat word and drink Holy Ghost and drink, eat word and drink Holy Ghost, and boy, you can just keep on going, just, just keep on going. Because if the only word you're getting is here, you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. If this is the only word you're getting, are you telling me I need to read the Bible every day? No, I am not. No, I'm not. No, because when you tell somebody, you got to read the Bible every day, it becomes a task. It becomes a good work you do. And you sit there and read, and your mind's all kind of other places, and you get that reading done. I read three chapters today. No, you didn't. Easily proven. Ask you one or two questions about what you just read. See what you can answer. <laughs> Sometimes you ask, what, chapter, what book did you read out of? Well, I don't remember. I just read that three chapters, though. I just, I just flipped in the Bible someplace and started reading. Well, if that's what God's wanting you to do, fine. But if you're doing that just to get your reading in today, really? Really? Oh, praise God. Sister Wright, they have no hope. Would you come to the organ just to give them hope? Please. I believe in hope, even if it's the wrong kind of hope. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose upon every hearer of this word, whether in this building or by live stream or by archive. I loose upon you the spirit of hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. In Jesus' name, I loose upon you the desire from God to seek Him and His will, His kingdom, and His righteousness. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I loose the blessing of God upon each and every one of us who is hearing this word that we might receive the blessing of God to hunger and thirst for Him, for His kingdom, and for His righteousness.
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Open your heart and receive from the Holy Ghost right now. In Jesus' name. Open your heart. Open your spirit. And receive from the Holy Ghost right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. Open your heart and spirit. And say I receive Jesus. I receive what you're giving. If you're giving it Jesus. I receive it Jesus. If you're giving Jesus. I receive what you're giving Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My, 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 my. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I love to hear the ministry of the word. I really do. But I'm not willing. I'm not willing to just have the ministry of the word from somebody else's mouth. I want to spend time with Jesus and spend time with his word so that he can talk to me directly myself out of the word and by his spirit. I loose the spirit of hunger and thirst upon you in Jesus' name. You say, but, but preacher, I try to read the Bible and I don't understand it. Then don't read it by yourself. Read it in His presence. I want more Get in His presence and read it and say and pray while you're reading. Jesus, I don't understand what I'm reading. Explain it to me, Jesus. He will. He will. He more. He wants you to know and understand His Word far more than you will ever want to know and understand His Word. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I want you to pray one for another on this. Find somebody to pray with. And pray, God, bless them. Bless my brother my sister with hunger and thirst after righteousness, after your Word. In the name of Jesus. Lord, hear my prayer. I want more of you. In the name of Jesus. 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 I need Hallelujah. I want you, Jesus. I want your word, Jesus. I want your spirit, Jesus. I want your righteousness, Jesus. I want your love, Jesus. 
I want your grace, Jesus. I want your mercy, Jesus. I want your peace, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want more in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I've had much. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But only to those that are in the yoke with him. Only to those that have ceased from their labors by his grace. Only to those that are in his yoke and staying in step with him. Staying in step with him. Not trying to get him to go your way. But your whole focus is to find his way and walk in it. Walk with him in it. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I'm not going to dismiss. I'm going to lay the microphone down. But some of us are praying. For some, this is a very, very, very momentous night. Because God has determined to change your life tonight if you will let him. If you will let him do it, he will do it. There's some of you. You've gone far enough like this because God's ready to take you into things he wants to do through you. But if he took you into those things like you are, doing your thing your way, praying in prayers of iniquity of your own will, it would destroy you. So out of love for you, he's waiting on you. You're not waiting on God. He's waiting on you. You're not waiting on God. He's waiting on you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
praise God.